Do you remember where you were? Can you remember that far back to where you were this time last year? Before any of this happened. Back when life was what? What's the word we would say? Normal. Normal. Back when life was normal. And here we are, and we're not even uh, fully through uh, 365 days later, and our entire world is different. You know, I don't know about you, but every time I come to the end of a year, um, it's sort of like uh, almost, a, I don't want to say a ritual, but it's, it's, it's a thing that happens in, in my life, and I'm sure it happens to some degree in all of our lives. But you look back over, you know, the journey that you were on for the year that you just finished, and you look back in and, and, and great thankfulness to the Lord, hopefully, but along the way, you didn't. There were many things that came your way that you didn't anticipate, that you didn't see. I mean, there are things that are true about your life today. There are experiences that you had this year that you did not expect or you did not anticipate uh, when you were at this point last year. You know, none of us could, in our wildest of imaginations, anticipated the radical upheaval that we've all gone through as a culture, as a society, as a state, as a city, uh, maybe for you as a person, as a family, as a couple. Life could be very different for you today than it was even a year ago. And there was no way to anticipate it. I mean, honestly, if you had told me a year ago that I would be living in a country where we couldn't go freely to shop. I would have looked at you and I would have smiled and I would have said, okay. In my head, I would have gone, are you okay? <laughs> if, if you had have said, you know, everybody in this country part is going to be staying at home and, uh, we aren't going to be allowed out of our homes between the hours of 10.30 and 5 in the morning. I would have looked at you and have said, this is the United States of America. It is the land of the what? Of the free. I would have, I would have probably said that. <clears throat> I would never have anticipated where we're sitting today. If you would have told me that in order to get on a plane and fly anywhere in the world, I would need to wear a... For how long? For the entire flight. And your mask has to cover what? Your mouth and your nose. Oh, you guys have flown. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I would have looked at you and I would have just, I couldn't have been able to compete, compete that. I mean, there's just been an immense amount of upheaval even in the course of a year. I mean, let's get real personal with this. For some people, maybe even for some of you, this has meant a radically different uh, change in your life than you would have ever anticipated. For some of you, it meant a change in employment. Some of you, it meant uh, all of a sudden the way you educate your children or what you're watching happening in your grandchildren. All of this has certainly uh, come out of nowhere. Didn't come out of nowhere. We know that 
theologically that the sovereignty of God, the omniscience of God, the providence of God, the, the, the goodness and graciousness of God, all of those realities are true for us. But on a personal level, on a practical level, as we've had to navigate the last year, we find ourselves, at least I do, uh, in a place where I never, in, in, any, in any universe that I could have c- constructed in my head with the facts I was looking at last Christmas, I would never have predicted this. I would never anticipated this. And I suspect that that's true for you. So that's what's happened this year. We're sitting here because the next part of the ritual is, okay, Lord, this is what happened this year that I didn't anticipate I'm looking forward to the next 365 years and or 365 days. (laughs) Boy, it feels like 365 years, doesn't it? 365 days. And when I get there, what's it going to look like? And, you know, generally you can sort of anticipate things that are going to happen. And, um, but after a year like this year, you look to the next year and, and all you can do is say, Lord, I have no what? I have no idea. I was so radically off, I was so radically taken off guard by what happened this year, I have no way to anticipate what will happen next year. So when you find yourself in that kind of a scenario, what is it that you most need? What is it that you most need? Because there is something as a Christian, I think, that that you and I desire, you know, as as. God brings unanticipated things into our lives. Uh, my, my life, my, my family and I have tried to operate uh, along certain timeless principles, right? They're just timeless principles that drive us and that shape us as we live and as we think and as we respond, no matter what comes into our life, whether it is an unanticipated uh, disease uh, or medical diagnosis that you get, uh, that's happened to us, whether it is an unanticipated uh, change that you did not anticipate or what, whatever happens, there are things that come into your life and there have to be certain timeless things that go in. So for example, let me give you one example of, of what I'm talking about. There is a, there's a fabulous passage in the book of Micah. You remember the Micah, Micah the prophet, the Old Testament prophet? speaking to the people of God. And there is a section in Micah's prophecy that unfortunately has been sort of taken over by a group of people who are trying to use that text for for ends that I don't believe Micah ever intended for those uh, verses and, and or that verse and those those words to, to, to be applied to. But but on a personal level, do you remember Micah 6 8? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. He has shown you the good. He he has already told you what is good. So whatever happens in our lives, God has already given to us a way to know good. He has shown us what is good, what is acceptable, what is right. He has shown us good. So what is it? And Micah says, here it is, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God, right? So, so just practically speaking, Micah 6, 8 says, here's what you do. No matter what comes in your life, here's what you do. God has already told you what is the right thing to do. What is the good thing to do? What is the appropriate thing to do? You do, you do what's right. 
you go to the scripture and you find out, Lord, how do you want me to respond to this? What's the right thing to do? And then you love mercy. You, you say, Lord, what is the loving thing to do here? What is, what is the right way to do this right thing that you've shown me? I've got to do the right thing, but I also have to do it out of a right heart. So what should my heart look like? It should look like hesed. It should look like loving kindness. It should, it should be filled up, governed, directed, guided by love. And then it should be marked by uh, quiet, careful, reverent, Humility, that, that's the idea of taking your place, walking carefully, circumspectly uh, before God and before men. So there's an example of something that we do know that is unshakable, unmovable uh, before the Lord. Let me give you another example. You remember in, in Romans chapter 14, Paul is dealing with two groups of people who are sort of at each other because, you know, this is what we want to eat at the church picnic. And, and no, you can't eat that at the church picnic. Remember that? Romans 14 and 15, it's all about food and drink. Well, it's really not just about food and drink, but that's sort of the thing that was going on right there. And right in the middle of helping these dear people learn what God is up to in changing all of what they were comfortable with, God says, now, let me remind you of something through Paul. The kingdom of heaven is not food and drink, but it is what? What should, what should the kingdom of heaven be all about? Righteousness, peace, and joy. So whatever is going on around you and however it is unfolding for you, here's what God says. This is what you, as a part of the kingdom of heaven, should be like. You should be, you should be marked by righteousness, right? The kingdom of heaven is not about all the outer stuff. It, it's not about the, the, the food and the drink. It's not about what day you observe or, 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 or all of these things, because these are realities that we have to deal with. You know, these are the things that make up the stuff that, that goes on in our life. But, but, but beyond that and under that and over that and around that and through that, the kingdom of heaven is righteousness. And the beauty of it is if you've been reading Romans, God has already declared you righteous, justification. He's in the process of making you righteous, sanctification, right? And now you have the ability because of the God who is in you, the spirit of God who's causing you both to know and to do, to will and to do of his good pleasure. You now have the ability to live righteously. And then peace. You have peace. God has made peace. He has given you peace. And because you have that peace, you can be at peace, right, with one another. And you can be at peace internally, no matter what's going on. And that leads to great and deep abiding joy. You see see what Paul is doing here? I mean, and these are just two, just two examples of, of many that, that describe how we can take some biblical principles, some unshakable ideas that give us stability no matter what is going on in the world around us. And so I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, to turn, if you will, to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 this morning because this is a passage that I believe will help us as we think back over what we've been through over the last 365 days, 
And as we look forward to what is coming in the year ahead, and, and it's so incredible that we're having the opportunity to look at this passage right now because of what we're celebrating. The reason we can look back and say to the Lord, Lord, no matter what's happened, we have righteousness, peace, and joy. And the reason we can look forward and say to the Lord, Lord, no matter what comes, Lord, help us to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. The only reason those two things are even possible for us is because 2,000 years ago, the second member of the Trinity was born, took upon himself flesh. He was incarnated. And, And he didn't come here on a vacation. He didn't come here to check out what was going on on the earth. He didn't come for a 33-year hiatus from heaven. He had a very, very specific mission that was designed and ordained by the Father that would be carried out by the Son and that would be energized and applied to people that God had foreknown by the Spirit. You can read all about that in the first part of Ephesians chapter 1. It's an incredible hymn celebrating all of that. And by the time you get done singing that hymn with Paul in Ephesians 1, you begin to discover that there is a group of people that have experienced this incredible work of the Trinity. And they have been drawn out of... Uh, a pit of sin where they were dead in their trespasses and sins, right? They have been quickened. This is all about what's going on in Ephesians chapter 2. They've been quickened. They've been enlivened. They have been saved by God's glorious grace, not by works which they have done, not by anything in them. And they are actually a display of God's amazing handiwork. They are the new creation. And they are actually, when you keep listening to Paul, they are actually not just the display of God's amazing glory, they are, they are actually uh, a display of what God's creation should have been like at the beginning and one day will be like. They are, they are the early display of what it is going to be like when God puts the universe right again. And these people have been uh, pulled together into a temple, an amazing temple, a temple not made of physical stones, but a temple made of living stones. And that temple then becomes the permanent dwelling place of the third member of the Godhead, the, the, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us. You know, all of a sudden, you know, what, what Paul does is he goes into this world that is broken and just chaotic, and he stops everything, and he lifts our eyes, and he says, now let me tell you what God is doing through Christ by the Spirit in you. And it, it changes everything. So what are people like this supposed to do? And, and, and that's in chapter 4. Paul says, now you're supposed to walk a certain way. And he's going to begin in chapter 4, verse 1, and he is going to lay out for these incredible believers, you and me, how we are supposed to live in light of all of this amazing truth. 
And five different times, he's going to talk about the way we should walk. Let me show them to you very quickly as we get into our text this morning. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul says, all right, now in light of everything I just told you in in, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, this amazing work that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are doing in, in quickening and enlivening a group of people and regenerating them and, and saving them by faith, to be a temple of the Spirit of God from, from all walks of life. Let me tell you what these people who have been energized and dwelt by, enlivened by the Spirit of God are supposed to do. They are supposed to live a certain way. You see it in, in chapter 4, verse 1. They are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have been called. So, here's... A major application I think we need to think about as we we start looking at this. No matter what's going on around us, and and no matter what comes in the year ahead, one, one thing we do know, one thing unshakable we do know out of this text, and that is this. There is a way that is worthy of our calling, and God wants us to live in that way. There is a way... Worthy of the calling that we have as believers, and whatever that way is, God wants us to walk it. God wants us to live it. The word walk here is not talking to our feet. It's talking about how we live our life. Remember Psalm 1, blessed is the man who what? Walks, and then there's the idea of don't walk this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Right? So the idea here is living your life. There is a particular way in which God wants you as a Christian and me as a Christian to live no matter what's going on around us. Now, he starts off in chapter 4, verse 1, to describe that walk. And by the time you get done with verse 16, he has told you a lot of things about what that walk looks like when you are with the body of Christ. When you are coming together as the church, and I'm not just talking about Sunday morning or Sunday night. When you come together as the church of God, there is a way that God wants you to walk, right? It's a walk of relational harmony. It's a walk of theological integrity. It's a walk of of spiritual ministry. It's a walk of biblical submission. It's it's a walk of doing ministry and growing and spiritually maturing. And so as you start reading those 16 verses and and Paul starts talking to you about the way you are supposed to walk, you're going to be able to walk away and say, now as the body of Christ, when we come together and serve together and grow together and are together and minister together in this world, this is how we are supposed to live. And then if you'll notice in verse 17, he starts uh, another segment of that walk. He says, now there's a different way in which I want you to think about walking worthy. There's a way to walk worthy when you come together and think about yourselves as the church. But then there's another way I want you to think. There's another aspect I want you to think about when you come to this idea of how to live. And it's how are you supposed to live when you are out in the world of people who do not know the Lord? That's the idea of Gentiles there. It's not just talking about non-Jews. Here's how you should walk 
When you walk among the pagans, when you walk among people who have not yet come to know the truth that you have come to understand and see and that you have been helped to embrace. And this time it's a walk of contrast. And you can see that, right? Look at this, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. And then here is sort of the, the overarching idea in the futility, in the brokenness of their minds. I've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes all semester. Uh, been taking our uh, university and, and at times our seminary through that book. And one of the things that you discover about Ecclesiastes is that Solomon is constantly talking about the world, and he uses this word to describe the world. It is a world of, he uses this word, vanity. Vanity of vanities. The word that Paul or that Solomon uses there, Paul is actually going to use in Romans 8 when he talks about the world that is broken. It is, it is being put under futility. It is being put under a curse. And here it is again. This is, this is, uh, this is the empty elusiveness of life that they can't quite make sense because it doesn't have the right component. It's missing important pieces. Other parts of it are twisted and bent And Paul says, now, when you walk in the midst of people who are trying to make sense of a world that is like that, do not walk like they walk. There's a different way to walk. And he's going to describe that for you. And he's going to take the rest of the chapter to do that. And then he's going to say in chapter 5, that walk, both in the church and out among the pagans is to be a walk of love. Do you see that in chapter five, verse two, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And he's going to speak to that. And he's going to talk about what that actual walk of love looks like. And then down in verse eight, he talks about walking as light, not just walking in light, but walking as light. You used to be darkness, that's what you used to be, but now you are light, so walk as lights. And he's going to flesh out what that looks like. And that brings us uh, to the text that we want to look at this morning, and that is, is simply this, walk, in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise And then he's going to flesh this out, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's an amazing passage. It's it's the culmination, it's the fifth expression in Ephesians of what this amazing walk should look like when you and I are called together as the body of Christ to live out what and to display the beauty of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the wisdom of the gospel, and the mercy of God and the love of God in a, a very dark and broken world. 
And you can see that, can't you, uh, as you turn on the news every night? You, you can see that when, when you actually sit down with people who are about to lose everything. And they, they don't really know how it's going to work. What is going to happen when my stimulus check runs out? What, what's going to happen to me if I can't open my business? What, what is going to happen to me? I'm supposed to have this surgery and, and it's been postponed four times. What is going to happen to me? I'm, I'm, I'm desperate. I, I, I am my, my kids. I, 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 I need this job. I need the insurance. And it looks like they're going to be another round of layoffs in my company. What is going to happen to me? And, and what you most need at that point in your mind is stability. And, and Paul is actually saying something different. He says, this becomes then for you an incredible opportunity for you to walk a certain way. And, 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 and we want to talk a little bit about the fifth expression of that walking, not as unwise, but as wise. So how do we do that? So let's look at, just kind of get our, our thinking. I, I, uh, the way I, I think about things, I, I like to have things that I can hang my thoughts on. Otherwise, they're just a bunch of ideas that just get jumbled in there. And so I, I need to try to remember things. And so I have ways of just uh, pegging them or, or organizing them. So think about, the, let, let's think about this passage in terms of three places, three big ideas that we're going to hang some thoughts on, all right? So let's go, to, let's go to peg number one. Peg number one is found in verses 15 and 16 of the text, and we could summarize it this way. Wise people, people who are called to live as, as wise people, make the most of every opportunity that God sends their way. Wise people make the most of every opportunity that God sends their way. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. All right, so that's, that's the first peg we're going we're gonna to hang some ideas on. All right, so what ideas are we going to hang on that peg? What are we going to put on that shelf? What, what, how are we going to organize our thoughts? Well, when you look at verse 15, the first thing that jumps out of you, besides the idea of walking and living, I'm supposed to live a certain way. And Paul says, now, when you think about living your life, live it as the wise and not the unwise. So let's talk for a minute about these two ideas. Who, who are the wise and who are the unwise that Paul's talking about? Okay, now this is not a church sermon. This is a, this is a, a, a mainstream adult Bible fellowship teaching time. So let's talk for a minute about that, all right? Who are the wise and who are the unwise that Paul's talking about? And it's okay to talk. I don't have any books to give away. Brad, do you got any more books? <laughs> You'll have to go back. Seriously, who do you think the wise are and who do you think the unwise are in the context that I gave you a minute ago as we just briefly looked at the book? You got it on the first try. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. Because if you go back to chapter 1, uh, in the second half of chapter 1, he talks about a group of people whose eyes have been what? Opened. They have received illumination. They have been enabled to see. Now, in the Bible, oftentimes, the idea of eyes, open, seeing, illumination stands in for what? What's the idea behind that? It's not just physical sight. 
you, you go somewhere and you're, you're, you're in the dark, right? And then you get some information and it's like, oh, the what just went on? The light just went on. What are we talking about here? We're talking about illumination. We're talking about, I, I got it. So, so there are people whose eyes physically work really, really well, but they are in the dark. They're darkness. They're not just in the dark. Paul's going to actually say it, it's, 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 it's worse than that. They're darkness. When, when you crawl in, it's not just that they're in the dark. They're part of the darkness. And then there's another group of people who all of a sudden, they used to be those people, but the Spirit of God opened their eyes and they were able to see. And what they saw was something that the darkness didn't comprehend. What they saw was the beauty of the gospel, the truth of the gospel in the face of Jesus. They were all of a sudden enlightened yeah, 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 yeah. We, we know about this rabbi from Jerusalem, and we've all heard about him. He was a carpenter, and he was an amazing teacher, and he, he did all these miracles, but the Romans killed him. And, you know, that was, a great, that was a great ride, and, you know, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, and then all of a sudden the light goes on. It's like, whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. And, and now all of a sudden... Out of this darkness comes a group of people who have been enlivened and enlightened, and they aren't just darkness anymore. They're light. It's not just that they saw the light. They are now light. And and so the contrast here is not between uninformed and informed people. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not between the people who went to college and the people who didn't. Or the people who read this book and the people who didn't. Or the people who have this information and the people who didn't. That's not the contrast Paul's making here. And that's the first thing we want to hang on our shelf, right? We said that wise people, whoever they are, make the most of every opportunity God sends their way. That's the first peg. And as we talk about that peg, the first thing we want to understand is who these wise people are. And, and it's not just people who are smarter than or had better education than or have better information. It's people who have been radically transformed. In other words, Paul is saying this. You could take the world you live in and you can divide it into two groups of people. That's it. There are people who are in the dark and are part of the darkness. And then there are people who are in the light and they are part of the light. Paul says, now let me give you another way to talk about these two people. These people here are foolish. These people here are wise. Foolish in this idea doesn't mean they're not smart. Like you could do something and go, oh, that was really, that was a foolish thing to do. Well, really smart people can do really foolish things. The idea of foolishness here is they have, they have failed to embrace the wisdom that comes from God. And that wisdom is in a person. It is Jesus, right? So, so here, here we are. Now we've got something to work with. You, as a believer, are in which category? Let's start there. Which category are you in? Wise. Your mom would be so proud, wouldn't you? You know, if you're, my, my mother's Mexican, she'd go, mijito. You, you're, you, any of you that are Spanish know what that means? Mijito mio. 
you know, mijo, don't do that or do this or that the voy a dar un chanclazo, I'm going to bring the 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 sandal out, right? I mean, the the so you you all who are Hispanic, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and and you and that comes out when you're not being wise or when you're doing something foolish. Here, this is very different. Paul's saying there are only two categories. You can take the entire world, divide it into two groups of people: people that are wise and people that are foolish. And in those two categories, let me suggest something to you: some of the smartest people on our planet are in which category? Wise or fool? They're foolish. Some of the wisest people on our planet are in this category. And some of the most despised, ignored, looked down upon, thought as the world's most foolish, naive people are actually what? Are wise. So that's the thing you have to see here when it comes to understanding how we're supposed to walk is to make sure you understand who you are in terms of which category you're in. You are in the category of wise people. Now, what do people like that do? When they live in a world that is marked by foolishness in the way that we're talking about. And Paul says, here's what they do. They make every opportunity, they make the most of every opportunity that God sends their way. They redeem the time. That's the idea. They they redeem every opportunity that God sends their way. Why? Because the day in which they are living has a certain moral category to it. The day in which they're living, the world in which they're living, the the context in which they're living has a certain moral assignment from God. It's evil. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's tragic. Sometimes it is um, morally evil. Sometimes it is a time of, of... uh, uh, natural disaster or, or whatever else. But it doesn't matter what is going on in the broken, sin-cursed world around you. People who are in this category, wise, are, are marked by this. They are constantly looking how to redeem the time for Christ. They're they are saying, okay, Lord, so here I am. I didn't expect to be in uh, Mask 101 for 365 days, but Lord, I'm going to redeem the time. I'm going to make the most of this opportunity for you. What are the gospel opportunities in front of me? Here I am. I never expected to get the cancer diagnosis that I got. I never expected to be in chemotherapy this year, but God, what are the gospel opportunities that I need to redeem, that I need to buy out of this time? Lord, I never anticipated this, or I didn't see this coming, or I didn't anticipate a promotion. Lord, how do I take this promotion and the extra money that came from it and use that to advance the gospel and to advance the cause of Christ in this time? Because even though this feels good and looks good, it's coming in the context of a morally broken world. Coming in the context of a world that is increasingly hostile. So this is the first thing that Paul would say to us, look carefully. And the idea there is give thought to this. This is not just intuitive. This is not just going to sit there and fall into your lap. Look carefully. Work hard at this. Give intentional thought. You remember what the psalmist said? 
In Psalm uh, 19, when he finished the incredible, beautiful psalm that speaks to the power of God's word and the different things that God's word does in your life. At the end of that psalm, he said this, let thoughts of meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be what? Be acceptable. You know, when you're, when you're sort of young, you got to work really hard on this, right? You ever have kids that they open this and you're like, oh, you know, we really liked you till you open this, right? You know, you, you, you know, my kids, you know, they walk around with a pocket full of stupid and they want to pull it out and show it to you every once in a while. You have kids like that? I know your kids never were like that. You know, your kids, you just came right out of the womb, um, you didn't even know they had a sin nature until they were about 30, right? That's how good your kids were. My kids fell down the stupid tree and hit every branch on the way down. You know, and you, you, you know what I'm talking about. And I love my kids, and, and don't tell them I told you that. But, but the bottom line is the words of our mouth, by the time we're our age, we, we've learned how to do that. It, my, my problem isn't just here anymore. My, my problem is really my thought process. Lord, help me to think biblically. Help me to think properly. Help me to think in ways that are shaped and governed by your word. Let the words of my mouth, yes, but let the thoughts of my heart, my thought processes, how I'm processing things that happen, be acceptable in your sight. So first thing we learn from this text is that wise people make the most of every opportunity that God sends their way. That's peg number one. Peg number two is this. Wise people, in order to do what we saw in peg number one, in order to make the most of every opportunity God sends their way, wise people must discover and do the will of God in every circumstance that God brings into their life. If I'm going to make the most of every opportunity, then I'm going to need to know what God wants me to do in that opportunity. I need to understand and do the will of God. This is, this is Paul telling the Ephesians in, in this language what he would say to the Philippians when he says, it is God who causes you both to know and to, or to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's what he talked about to the Colossians when he talks about needing to know and do fully the will of God. So here's how he put it to the Ephesians in verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So there are two categories of people, wise and unwise. And in the context of our talk this morning, we're saying that the unwise people are who? The unbelievers and the wise people are who? The believers. And we got, we went back to chapter one and and just sort of quickly reviewed that Uh, This is true because God opened their eyes. They could see, they could understand, they were illuminated. So now we have these two groups of people. And now God says to the wise, don't think like the unwise. Don't be foolish. Don't adopt the thinking, uh, the mindset, the worldview of the unwise. Don't be foolish, right? Verse 17, but understand, and here's what you're striving to understand, what the will of the Lord is. Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, where am I going to go to find that? I'm going to have to go to the scriptures. 
right? This is the, and this is why you went back to verse 15. Look carefully. Right? The, the idea here is, you know, this is, this is going to demand some intentionality of you. Can I, can I just stop, put a little application here? Brad didn't ask me to do this. But this is why you need more than just the Sunday morning sermon. This is why what we're doing in mainstream and all across our church is so incredibly important for you and for me. This is why what we do on a Sunday night is so important. This is why the Bible studies that are are scattered throughout the week. Think about it this way. If you are going to counter the incredible pressure that is coming at you constantly 24-7 from the unwise, from the darkness, do you really think that one hour a week on Sunday morning in the Word is enough? I mean, you've got to be pouring in biblical wisdom into your life. Otherwise, you're, you're, you're going to be sitting going, well, what is the will of God? And your thinking is going to be so overwhelmed by what you're going through that it's not just going to naturally come to your mind. Let me give you, let me give you just an example. When we face a trial, can you go in your mind to where God has talked about trials so that the thoughts of your heart are actually being shaped by what the Spirit of God wrote down, so that you are thinking as a wise person. Because when you go out in the world and somebody goes through a trial, how do they think? What, what, what goes on in, in, in their thinking? Karma. This is karma, right? What goes around comes around, right? This stinks. You know, if there is a God, he must not care. He must not love me. He must not like me, right? He must not be big enough to do all things that you guys say he can do because, you know, if if I were God, I would never let my five-year-old son get cancer. How, you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, all of, all of these thinking, this is what's going on in the mind of an unenlightened person who's darkness. So, Frankly, sometimes we're tempted to think that way, aren't we? So how do we counter that? How do we redeem that opportunity for the gospel? And the answer is you can't think this way. You have to redeem your thinking. So how do you do that? Well, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, talk about the fact that, that trials are actually a way in which God perfects, strengthens our character. Light. Oh, okay. James 1 says we are to count those fierce trials, those painful trials, as an occasion for joy. Now, that's not what I was expecting. I can see how the trials producing character in me, but James is telling me I got to think about them in terms of joy. Why? Because joy. I'm going to rejoice in what comes out on the other end because what's going to happen when I get done with the trial is I'm going to really like the outcome. I'm going to really like the outcome. How many of you have ever had a massive home renovation? I'm not talking about a little home renovation where you're like paint. I'm talking about like tear it down to the studs. Your wife woke up one morning with a vision (laughs) and it changed your entire life. Every waking moment, every extra cent, 
And there were times along the way where you were going, I didn't sign up for this, right? But at the end, when it's all said and done, and you walk in and it's like awesome, you're like, I love this. And that's what James is saying. When you get all the way done with the trial, if you allow God to do what he's doing in your life, you are going to rejoice. You are going to absolutely love the other side of what's going on here. You're going to love what comes out on the other end. Well, what about now? What do I do now? James says, okay, in James chapter 1, you ask God for what? Wisdom. And by the way, he will never deny you that wisdom. He's not going to be upset for you coming to ask. And then you follow Christ's example in 1 Peter and in Hebrews. And so I'm just giving you very quickly uh, just an example of what Paul uh, is talking about here when he says, number one, wise people make the most of every opportunity God sends their way. And they do this, number two, by setting out to discover and do the will of God in every circumstance by not thinking as the foolish people in the world think. Right, which brings us to the third thing that we want to look at that this morning, and that is this, all right? Thing number one, wise people, believers, make the most of every opportunity that God brings into their life, all right? And they do this, number two, by intentionally thinking and discerning and doing the will of God in every one of those circumstances. And number three, They obey the Spirit of God in everything that comes along their way. They redeem time, they discern God's will, and they obey the Spirit of God in everything. So let me show this to you. Look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, how many of you have heard this verse before? Okay, can I make a comment to you and not be, this is an opinion, all right? I'm going to give you my opinion and you're not obligated my opinion. I don't think the main point here is, is Paul is addressing drinking. I, I do think we need to talk about drinking. I think there's a whole lot of problems with it, but I don't think that's the primary point of this passage. I think he's doing something much bigger. This, this passage may be how or a piece of how you decide what you're going to do with the idea of the use of, of alcohol in your life. But I think there's something much bigger going on here. I think what he's doing is he is giving you a contrast. He is saying there, there is something that ought to control your life. And he's using something that the Ephesians were very familiar with and saying it shouldn't be like that. In other words... When you drink wine, wine starts to do what to you? It starts to control you. We, we, what is a DUI in our culture? Driving under what? Influence. What, what's the influencer? Alcohol, right? It changes, it controls every part of a person. It affects their speech. It affects... Their, their motor skills. It affects their cognizant uh, ability to respond quickly. It, it, affects, uh, it, it affects every part of their life. Paul says, there is a substance that you are putting in your body. And when you put, in, when you put this substance in your body, it is going to control you. And what comes out on the other end is debauchery, right? Paul says, now, that's not, 
that's not the kind of control I'm talking about. I'm talking about a very different kind of control. I'm talking about you being filled, you being controlled by sin. Be filled with what? The Spirit. Don't think of this as a cup. You know, my life is a cup, and I'm going to pour the Spirit of God in me. And the more I have in my cup, the better I'm going to be, right? Now, there are people who think that way. It's like, I'm running low on the Spirit today. I got, I got to get my, got to, I got to go to the, got to go to church. Got to, got to gas up for the week because it's a tough week coming, you know? Kids are coming home for Christmas. I got to get, I got, I got to have extra Spirit in me. You know, I mean, we, we would never talk that way, but that's actually how we live. And, and that's not the idea that Paul has here. He's not talking about your life and the Spirit as sort of a, a liquid that gets poured in uh, because that's broken at so many levels. Let me give you just a couple of reasons why. The Spirit of God is not a substance. He is a what? He is a person. So how much of him did you get when you got saved? You got all of him. For how long? Did he just come to visit or did he come to take up residence? He's a permanent resident. He's not renting. Your life is not a motel or a hotel and he just got a room for a couple of nights. I mean, he is, he has permanently indwelled you. So you have all of the spirit you're going to have. So what does Paul mean when he says, be filled with the person who's already there and you already have all of him that you're going to get? What What does he mean by that? He's actually talking about influence, right? How much does the permanent, does the Holy Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, who permanently dwells in you, actually influence the way you live? How much does he actually control what you do? And that's the next thing, right? I mean, a spirit-filled person actually uh, is, is, is marked by, 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 by certain things. He, for, for example, in verses 19 to 20, he has transformed communication, right? Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in a certain kind of communication in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Your communication with one another is generated, it is controlled, and it is filled up by what the Spirit uh, is doing. Your Spirit-controlled communication. Notice the attitude of that person who is being influenced by the Spirit of God, not just their communication, but their attitude, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when the Spirit of God is controlling you and influencing you, it's not just your speech that changes, it's it's your attitude. And then notice thirdly, this kind of a person will have transformed relationships, transformed communication, transformed attitude, and transformed relationships, submitting to one another. And here's an amazing thing, out of reverence to Christ. This is a willing submission. This is a glad submission. This is a a joy-filled submission. And I'm not doing it because you're my boss or because you're my authority, although I should do it for at least those reasons. It's, it's much more than that. It is because I, I love Jesus. So as we finish this morning, let's just test this out. Year of pandemic, 
Everything's different. Our lives have been upended. And we get up and we Zoom to work or we go to work. There have been, I can think of at least one good thing that's happened out of this pandemic. You can, you can move around on I-5 and the 405 amazingly, amazingly. I mean, everybody talks about the traffic out here. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, pandemic. This isn't normal. All right. So, but, 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 but just, just think about this for a second. How, let's take a wise person and an unwise person in the way that we're talking and say, what do they, what do they, what's their communication like? When you read the paper and you listen to them talk, what's their communication like? When you turn on your radio and you listen to them sing, what are they singing about? What are they, you know, what's coming out of their mouth? And, and then you meet this person over here, and, and he's enlightened, he's light, he, he's a, a believer who's making the most of this opera. What's coming out of his mouth or her mouth? What, what, what are they singing about? What are they celebrating? Right? All right? Just, just think about that. Same scenario. Now, what's coming out of the, what, what attitude? I can't, you know, panic, fear, uh, anger. What's coming out of this person? Gratitude. I know it's tough, but I'm so thankful I'm a believer. I woke up this morning and I, I just, just received, again, refreshment. The mercies of God are fresh every morning. And all of a sudden, there's gratitude coming out of this person. And the gratitude is coming in the midst of the same circumstance that's driving this person to anger and fear and despair. And then you look at, you look at this person's life and, and, and the and sort of the atmosphere of their life, and they are constantly characterized by humble submission to each other. They're not clawing at each other. They're not trying to, to one-up each other. They're, they're, trying to, they're, they're literally saying, I, I want to take my place. I want to serve. I, I, I want to be a blessing. I, I want to submit Properly, I want to take my proper place before God to you and, and with you. Now, if you're a third party watching these two people, which one are you more confused by? Which one got your attention? This one. And you have a question. <laughs> If God's at work in your life, you have a question, and your question is this, how, how are you doing that? How in the world is your marriage like that? And, and, and how are you handling your kids, and how are your, you kids, how are you obeying your parents? And I, I know who you work for. I know who you work for because I work for him. And I, 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 ah, how, do you, how, are, how do you come to work so happy when you gotta, we got we to go to the, how, how's that possible? Right? When you talk, it, you're, you're talking so different than when I talk. When, when what comes out of your heart is so different than what comes out of my heart. When, 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 you, when, when, you know, when you're given tasks to do or, 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 or things happen, you, what, the relationships that you have, you, you, you walk submissively. How, how are you so humble in all of this? That's what's going on, right? I mean, you got these two people living in the same pandemic, living in the same job, living in the same set of trials and circumstances. Your kid is in the bed right next to my kid, and they're both getting chemotherapy for the same disease. I don't understand how you can come in here every day with the hope, the joy, the gratitude in the midst of your tears when I don't have it. 
because my kid's in the same room that your kid's in. How in the world is that possible? And all of a sudden, you have this amazing opportunity because you are light. To say there's only one way. It's because of who I love. Jesus. And the only reason I can love him is because he first loved me. And it changes everything. All of a sudden, you are the display of the incredible mercy and love of Christ. And you know, folks, I said it to you earlier the first time I ever preached to you when we were talking out of 2 Thessalonians 3 that the love of God is the most amazing reality in the world. The devil doesn't have a problem with people really knowing and understanding the holiness of God, the justice of God, the power of God, the wrath of God. The thing he most wants to hide from people is the amazing intensity of God's love for them because that's what's so transformative. And when you and I live this way, we redeem the time. When you and I live this way, we do the will of God. And when you and I live this way, we are energized. It's only possible when we're energized by the Spirit of God. That's really how you do justly, and you love mercy, and you walk humbly. That's really how the kingdom of heaven in you becomes way more than the stuff of life. But it is righteousness, peace, and joy. So whatever comes in the year ahead, Ephesians 5 is an amazing place to park. And the same guy who wrote Ephesians for us is the one who wrote 1 Thessalonians. And so as we go into that text, I think you'll see so many parallels uh, between what he wrote to the Thessalonians and what what he wrote just across uh, the Mediterranean to the Ephesian church. So let's pray And then uh, I'll turn it back over to uh, Pastor Brad. Lord, thank you for your word and for the amazing truth of it, the simplicity of it. Lord, we are so thankful that by your grace and through your your providence and uh, foreknowledge, Lord, we, we we are in the category of wise people because we have been enlightened about the most amazing reality in the world, your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Lord, we want to make the most of every opportunity that comes our way. No matter what it, what it comes in, no matter the package or the context, Lord, we want to discern and do your will in that circumstance for that moment. And Lord, in order to do that, we're going to need the illumination and the enablement that comes only from your spirit as we look into your word regularly and repeatedly so that, Lord, we would have transformed communication transform attitudes, and transform relationships out of our deep love and reverence for you, in whose name we pray. Amen.